0: I've really come to, like, these grapefruit bubblies. Like, yeah. initially, I was like, this is the worst flavor. I've changed my mind. I Have kinda you? I kind of like it. I kind of like it.
1: That's big of you, to admit that.
0: I'm not going to say I was wrong. I'm just going <laughs> to say I've changed my mind. Okay. <laughs> so, Destin's in Yarmouth?
1: Yeah. For school? Yeah. What? <laughs> I'm yeah. confused.
0: <laughs> it's a holiday.
1: They are figuring out... Uh, How to manage the mosquito population. Wait. <gasps> that's so weird because there's somebody in my archives class
0: whose archival internship is developing how they can keep the mosquitoes out of the archives. And he's in oh. Yarmouth, so it's probably the same oh, thing. Oh, it's
1: probably the same thing. That's, that's so funny. Sure. Yeah,
0: <laughs> Yarmouth has cast a <laughs> wide
1: net to Dalhousie <laughs> that's like, Send anyone. (laughs) Anybody. Do you... Have you ever been bitten by a mosquito? (laughs) (laughs) It fucking sucks. I'm so itchy (laughs) all the time. So, he then proceeded to tell me a story about tree planting when he was Uh. like, you had to like, to pee, you had to like, wear... Like, be fully covered and then walk outside and walk and swing while you pee so that the mosquitoes wouldn't bite you.
0: Imagine being a woman. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Minute Women Podcast. My name is Grace. And I'm Linnea. And this week, Linnea, we have
1: a doozy. So okay. I think we I think we just have to jump right into it. Okay, I'm excited. So No, you, maybe I'm not excited. I never know.
0: <laughs> the person we're going to talk about today, I think, is one of like the coolest people in all the Heritage Minutes.
1: But it's a Heritage
0: Minute I genuinely didn't recognize. Like when I heard the name, I was like, I don't know who okay. that is. Interesting. Um, do you remember the one about Dr. Lucille Teasdale-Cordy? No. No. So it's... <laughs> it, it, it's bizarre because it's just so – it's so different from all the other Heritage Minutes. Mm-hmm. But it – no one – Is I, it an old one? Yeah. It's, it's an older one. What happened? So it's – What'd she do? She's a, a doctor who works in a hospital in Uganda. Okay. And that's kind of the premise. Like, the Heritage Minute is not a whole lot more than her, like, working at this hospital in Uganda. Okay. And I was like, okay, interesting. But then her life – she's such a badass – She's, like, so cool, and I'm very excited.
1: Let's talk about this, her story with everybody. <laughs> Let's talk about
0: this badass lady. So Lucille Teasdale was born in the east end of Montreal and was the daughter of a local butcher. She grew up in a working-class Roman Catholic family, and she was the fourth of seven children and the only one to finish high school. Good for her. So already off the bat, we are coming from a background that says this person is not going to wind up being a doctor. No. A bright and determined youngster, she was inspired by the stories of missionary nuns doing aid with Chinese orphanages. And so at the age of 12, she declared to her father, I want to help poor needy children and I'm going to become a doctor. Okay, little lady. I love it when little girls are inspired by nuns. (laughs) It's always a good start. So she won a scholarship to enter the University of Montreal's Faculty of Medicine in 1950. Mm -hmm. And her class had 110 students and only 10 women were enrolled. So we're we're far past the times of Jenny Trout, but still not quite.
1: Modern day.
0: Yeah, not quite modern day. Not an equal distribution of women and men. Only eight of these female students continued their studies past the first year. So. Already, you've got like one fifth of students dropping out of the program, probably because they didn't feel like they were welcomed, or yeah. you probably know, because comfortable. they weren't,
1: yeah, um, welcomed. <laughs> She
0: graduated cum laude in 1955 and carried out her internship in Montreal's Centre Hospitalisée Universitaire Saint-Justine, which is a pediatric and obstetric university health center affiliated with the University of Montreal.
1: That was a lot of words. Congratulations. (sighs) Thank you. You got through it. (sighs)
0: During this internship, she met Italian doctor oh. Piero Corti, oh. who carried out two residencies at St. Justin Hospital during his postgrad training in pediatrics. He already had postgraduate specializations in radiology and neuropsychiatry, both from the University of Milano. Both doctors shared a desire to work where the need was greatest, but as Cordy stated, she was always much too busy for anything else but work. So she's mm-hmm. too busy for him. She's studious. She's studious. She needs to work. She was inspired by nuns. What do yeah, you want
1: what do you want from her? Exactly. What else do you think the nuns taught her? <laughs>
0: After her internship, Lucille Teasdale enrolled in postgraduate school for pediatric surgery in 1958, which I feel like must have been a very specialized field at this time. And very new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm trying to remember. I feel like we talked about pediatrics at some point because for a long time, there wasn't specialized care for children. Was
1: it with your boy, um, Penfield? Maybe. I don't know. I think
0: so. Yeah. I think actually. Maybe he, like, supported it or something. I'm not sure. If anybody remembers, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> Reach out. Let us know. She carried out her first two years at Hôpital Maison Nouveau and Hôpital Hôtel Dieu, which it's just funny because that means God Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, God's Hotel. <laughs> I imagine it like <laughs> like Caesar's Palace <laughs> in Vegas. It's like very fake pearly gates. Yeah. Like, Come on in. Yeah. <laughs> but yep. it's also a hospital. <laughs> um, and These are both in Montreal, as you can tell by their French names. Uh. Wanting an opportunity to complete her final period of residency abroad, she applied to several hospitals in the United States, but was turned down. Some explicitly said it was because she was a woman, according to biographer Michel Arsenault. Yeah. In 1960, Lucille Teasdale traveled to France to carry out her final internship year, so she she eventually gets to go abroad. Um, and it's at Orbital de la Concepcion in Marseille. Mm. While working in Marseille, Lucille sent a postcard to Piero, inviting him to visit her. Just out of the blue. It's like, oh, you're just in Italy? Like, <laughs> I'm in France. It's not that far. That's funny. <laughs> you should, like, come visit. <laughs> Piero, after visiting several hopeful sites in Africa and India where he wants to wind up working, right, because he wants to be where the need is greatest, he had chosen to work a small 30-bed mission hospital in Gulu, which is in northern Uganda. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: He was preparing the first air cargo equipment to be airlifted by the Italian Air Force, which involved the UN mission to the Congo Mm -hmm. um, when Lucille reached out to him. And so Piero invited Lucille to go with him instead, just for a couple months, he said. For a couple months, come okay. with me to Northern Uganda. And they would start the surgical like wing of this hospital, basically. That's so cool. <laughs> he could only He could only afford to pay for her travel and her cigarettes, but he promised that he would pay for it. <laughs> He's like, I can't give you anything. I can't give you pay. I can't guarantee that. But I will pay for your airfare and cigarettes. And
1: future lung cancer. <laughs>
0: And Lucille accepted, but made it clear that she would only be available for a month or two. She's like, I, I, I can't make a living off cigarettes. I'm going to need to come back to Barsat, Yeah. So she travels to Uganda on the same uh, Italian Air Force plane.
1: With him? I don't think with him. For
0: mm-hmm. whatever reason, they were like, it was the same plane, but it was at same. <laughs> the exact time.
1: same plane. Yeah.
0: Upon arrival in Uganda in 1961, Lucille was required to obtain a license to practice as a doctor, okay. but learned she would first have to complete two months, the first two months of her internship, or the last two months of her internship, sorry. Okay. So she's, I guess, technically not a doctor yet, All right. um, or at least not specialized. She was referred to one of the surgeons in the capital city's uh, university hospital, who interviewed her and authorized her to go straight to Lake Corps. So this is the hospital. Okay. The surgeon was Dr. Dennis Parson Burkitt, who first described and studied the distribution and etiology of pediatric cancer that bears his name, Burkitt's lymphoma.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Fun fact.
1: Fun fact. <laughs>
0: So St. Mary's Hospital, Lake Corps, or simply Lake Corps Hospital, is a non-for-profit hospital founded by the Catholic Kambani Missionaries in 1959. It lies about five kilometers west of Gulu, the main town in northern Uganda, on the road that turns north towards the Sudanese border, which is about 100 kilometers away. Okay. It is a region of the Ikoli people and the Luo Nilotic ethnic group. So there's a lot of different people there. Okay. I guess like. Because Africa was just colonized by Europeans, a lot of the borders don't yeah. really reflect the ethnic groups that live there. Okay. So, like, I don't think I think the point is like these people wouldn't really identify as Ugandans. They're okay. identifying as Ikoli people and Luo people. Right. And as we'll see as we go on, there's like a lot of conflict that happens because you're forcing these people basically to live next yeah. to each other. When Lucille joined Le Cor, the hospital had a 40-bed maternity ward and an outpatient department, while other departments, including the operating room, were still under construction. Okay. Piero had decided to settle there because the Italian bishop of the diocese who owned the hospital had agreed to allow him to manage and develop the hospital with relative independence. So this is basically like Piero's hospital.
1: He just owns the place. He's like, oh, this? This is my
0: <laughs> surgical ward. It's not finished. <laughs> oh yeah this is the outpatient's room not done <laughs> it's like it's like if you go home to a guy's place yeah and they're like this is my bed it's just a mattress on the floor uh,
1: this is my kitchen there's no running water <laughs> this is my fridge it's just takeout <laughs> You can seat yourself to the door. (laughs) (laughs) This is the door. It's wide open.
0: (laughs) Um, Piero would never ask the diocese for money, but uh, he ended up just raising all the necessary funds himself. So,
1: great guy. Great guy. (laughs)
0: Lucille's first operation was carried out on an examination bed, which, different than a surgical bed...
1: (laughs) yeah it's just a bed it's just a bed cut me open doc
0: (laughs) don't worry the mattress will absorb all the blood oh gross it's fine (laughs) thereafter she spent mornings carrying outward rounds followed by adult outpatients and then afternoons in the surgical theater (sighs) busy days busy busy lucille was the only doctor in the region treated countless patients and performed surgeries.
1: where's piero
0: that's what i was confused by i was like is piero truly just an administrator now like he's not like maybe like maybe he just is doing or maybe he's just not a surgeon maybe he may be a doctor but not a surgeon maybe yeah yeah Her stay, originally intended to be just two months, was extended, partly because of Piero's need to go home to Italy due to his father's failing health. So, like, someone needed to stay behind and run the hospital. Yeah, He's like, yeah, I brought you out here to, like, run my hospital, but I got to go. Can you run my hospital by yourself? That would be great. (laughs) A Bucci. I haven't been doing an Italian accent, and I feel like I've really missed my opportunity. Uh, We might need to start all over. Start now. Start now. (laughs) Lucille Teasdale was born in (laughs) 1929. Piero. The East End of Montreal. (laughs) When the time came for Lucille to leave Uganda, she got only as far as Marseille before Piero reached out, begging her to return. She did, and they were married in December of 1961. Oh, yeah. They were banging that whole time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, And they were married in a tiny chapel beside the hospital. Cute. So it's like their whole life is in Uganda as well. Yeah. Which I, I appreciate. Like, it's... I think a lot of the problems that people have with philanthropy especially to Africa is just like you show up, you do the thing and you leave. Yeah. Whereas these people are like committed to no. running at, running this hospital, living in this community and being there for these Which people. Which
1: has got to be terrifying.
0: Yeah. Oh, well she sees some shit. <laughs>
1: okay. It gets uh-huh. wild. Okay. <laughs>
0: The following year, their daughter, Dominique, was born, whom the locals named Atim, which means born far from home in Ecoli. And then from this time on, Lucille is only ever locally known as Min Atim, which is mother of Atim. So I I guess in their traditions, like once you become someone's mother, that's your name.
1: That's it. That's your job. Yeah.
0: So it's almost like, I guess you could have like McDonald's. You would be son of But to them, it's like about the child.
1: Oh, but that's like yeah that's like in um icelandic culture like mm. you get daughters and sons yeah so like yeah if your dad's name is john his first name you become if your boy son. johnson or johnson's dot like john's, john's daughter,
0: daughter. Yeah. yeah so it's it's similar to that except in reverse yeah and so yeah like the people always just know know her as minna tim which is so cute that is like, really i cute. just think it's nice Piero and Lucille's early dream guided them throughout their lives and remains the hospital's guiding principle to offer the best possible care to the greatest number of people at the lowest possible cost and to train those people who will eventually replace them. Yeah. For more than 20 years, Piero and Lucille were responsible for the initial three-month training of newly graduated Italian doctors deciding to carry out their two years of civil service instead of a compulsory one-year military service. So I guess guess it's specifically with med school? Yeah. Because I haven't heard of, like, forced military service in other departments of Italy. Yeah. Um, At least during this time. If you're an Italian doctor, you have to serve in the military for a year, but Mm. they can do this instead for two years. Mm. So they were sent through the Italian government aid projects to work in seven missions and two government hospitals in northern Uganda, including St. Mary's. The mission hospitals depended almost exclusively on these doctors. Mm. So they really need these people coming in. So as a bit of context Uganda gained its independence from Britain in 1962 so it's still a British colony when they show up okay and the celebrations at first heralded the country's bright future but despite Milton Obote's assuming of the Ugandan presidency and the changing of the Constitution to vest considerable power in his own hands in 1967 and 68 The country did enjoy relative peace until the chief of armed forces, Idi Amin Dada, took power with an armed coup in 1971. In 1972, Amin expelled 60,000 Asians whose ancestors had settled in Uganda during colonial times and handed their businesses and properties to his own supporters. As a result of neglect and mismanagement, the country's economy and infrastructure collapsed. Piero and Lucille had to decide whether they were going to leave, as most expatriates did, Mm. or to find a way to keep their hospital running. And they decided that they were going to stay in Uganda. Oh, that's so scary. With Piero's family in Italy organizing support um, to send them several containers of drugs and equipment and clothes every year. So like Piero's family is basically the whole like supply chain for this hospital (laughs) on the other end. However, they also had to make the difficult decision to send their daughter away for security reasons. Yeah, I was going to
1: ask about that. Yeah. That's hard.
0: And for studies as the school system was also collapsing. Yeah. So Dominic had had lived within the hospital compound since birth and had been taken by Lucille to the wards and operating rooms when her Ugandan nurse was absent. So she's like her mom's assistant, basically. That's crazy. She had gone to the local primary school, and now Dominique would only ever return to Lycor for her holidays. Mm. She was sent to live with one of her aunts in Italy and then to a boarding school in Kenya. And um, from there, she could travel back to Uganda three times a year. Right. So Lucille, whose only condition when she married Piero was that their family would never be separated. Yeah. And so she had to basically sacrifice that oh. by sending her daughter away. And she stated that sending her daughter away was the biggest sacrifice I ever made.
1: Oh, it's awful. I know.
0: But it's for a very good reason because things get very dangerous very, very quickly. Things get hairy. The first serious period of insecurity the hospital suffered was during the Ugandan Tanzanian War, leading to Idi Amin's overthrow in 1979. The government was repeatedly ransacked by remnants of Idi Amin's disbanded army fleeing from the advancing Tasmanian forces. During those months, the hospital was cut off from the rest of the world, which was unaware of the conditions inside. Lucille found herself undertaking an unprecedented number of operations as a result of the war and the ensuing vendettas among tribes. While Lucille was operating on a wounded soldier, Piero suffered a punctured eardrum because basically he's like narrowly missed by a machine gun fire. Whoa. And it like perforates his eardrum. It's so close. Um, during one confrontation with marauders. When the Tanzanian army arrived at the hospital, a commander stated that Le Cor was the first hospital that they had found open and functioning since they entered the country more than four months ago. And since then they had traveled 600 kilometers. Oh my God. So there's not a Imagine. single hospital left in the country but they're still functioning That's at this awful. like little place yeah in 1980 after several interim and two increasingly turbulent and brief provisional governments milton Obote returned to power as president of uganda civil war broke out. Yeah. <laughs> and in the four-year military effort to destroy its challengers, Obote's second government was responsible for a greater death toll than the estimated 300,000 deaths during the seven years of Idi Amin's rule.
1: Wow.
0: It is estimated that over 500,000 Ugandans died and the vast area of lands were devastated during Obote's presidency. In addition to all of this political chaos, mm-hmm. by 1982, victims of a mysterious slim disease, soon to be known as HIV/AIDS, Aww. began to appear in the Lake Corps Hospital.
1: Aww.
0: So, following a means overthrow um, that same year, the ensuing civil war brought more years of uncertainty for the whole region, and the hospital began to be a regular target yeah. by rebels. This is, it's backtracking a little bit, but basically there were daily attacks during this period of time. So throughout the 70s, just daily attacks on the hospital. There was a raid and the sacking of their home, attacks on the hospital by rebels looking for drugs or petrol, as well as rapes and kidnappings of some of their nurses. Throughout it all, Lucille continued to work, treating hundreds of thousands of patients a year. Um, Many of them were children. In 1989 a staff doctor was kidnapped and the courties prepared for a possible evacuation with the prospect of the lake Corp hospital being completely shut down the rebel guerrillas agreed to stop disrupting the hospital's activities
1: oh my god <laughs> they're, they're like, like shit yeah we <laughs> might need a doctor too uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> fuck
1: <laughs> they're like god damn it yeah.
0: In 1983, the Ugandan Ministry of Health recognized Corps as an internship training center for newly graduated doctors from the government medical facility in Makiri. So, like, this government is not a great government, but it does at least recognize that this hospital is important <laughs> and needs to run. Yeah. So now we have, instead of Italian doctors, they're sending Ugandan doctors, which is okay. great. Yeah. Um, these doctors could now carry on their compulsory one-year internship at Le Corps Hospital and then remain to work at Le Corps or in other Catholic nonprofit hospitals. The Italian Ministry of Foreign Affairs offered significant t- support to Le Corps through specialists to train the interns as well as facilities and equipment. By the end of the 1980s, the Italian government was among the major contributors to international foreign aid by European governments, and Uganda represented one of its major recipients, Mm. especially through the health program, both to government and non-government institutions. So basically, this is how it's going to be able to stay open throughout this turbulent time. So Lucille was diagnosed with AIDS in 1985, which... I mean, it it makes sense, based on everything that she's doing, when tests first became available in Italy. So Piero and Lucille actually date her infection back to 1979. So at this point, they think that she's been sick for like six years, but they just couldn't test. There was no test for AIDS yet. When Lucille started carrying out much of the surgery on war casualties, and she would often cut herself on sharp fragments of bone um, in people who were on on the operating table yeah
1: there just wasn't the protective equipment
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: before the results
0: were available she was referred to professor anthony pinching in london who was among the first to study the disease in the uk Mm. he told her that her previous opportunistic diseases were indicative of her condition so like you had an pneumonia it's because you had aids like yeah yeah He also told her that morale was really important and so she should continue clinical work. So regarding surgery, which worried Lucille, so she's worried about surgeries. um, She was told there was not much alternative for a patient's survival in a context where she was still the only experienced surgeon available. Yeah. So it's like, you're right, but also these people don't really have another choice. Yeah. She was given two years to live, but her perseverance and determination would allow her to live another 11 years. Oh, wow. In 1991, uh, Lucille traveled to Canada to receive the Order of Canada.
1: Oh, good for her. Yeah.
0: And despite her failing health, she did continue to work, especially in LACOR's adult outpatients and the AIDS TB department. Oh, wow. Gradually relinquishing operations to Ugandan doctors that she had personally trained. She suffered from a series of complications from the ever-present oral candidiasis that made eating difficult Mm. and severe conditions like Addison's disease and pneumocytosis, carini? pneumonia, (laughs) Okay. (laughs) uh, Which caused Piero to rush her to London and then to Milano to overcome the crises. A few months before her death, um, her weight was down to just 73 pounds. Yeah. But she still was carrying out four to six hours of outpatient clinics every single day. Wow. She sometimes was too weak to get up in the morning, so Piero or others would place an IV line to rehydrate her. And as soon as she felt better, she would remove <laughs> the needle herself and go back to work. Oh. In a letter to a friend she wrote about five months before her death, she wrote of her daily life and the ongoing strife in Uganda. For the last three weeks, I have been taking a 1,500 cc IV solution to <laughs> rehydrate myself, which is just like, is this Grey's Anatomy? Yeah, right? <laughs> um, since I am usually free Saturday afternoons and Sundays, I managed to continue um, without missing a single day of work. So... She described the return of Joseph Kony's fighters from Sudan um, the previous month and how they were killing civilians and burning Mm. their huts and stealing their livestock. They kidnap 10 to 15-year-olds and either sell them as slaves to the Sudanese Arabs or brainwash them and turn them into guerrillas, Teesdale wrote. Drugs. And now the rebels are planting mines along the paths. The injuries they cause are so severe that we have to amputate. Last week, a nine year old lost both their legs and an arm.
1: Oh, that's awful.
0: Teasdale said that she was depressed and tired of the fighting, but hoped the feeling would pass. In the afternoon, after the outpatient clinic, I usually lie in bed and read, she wrote in closing. In a last attempt to improve a worsening condition, Piero rushed Lucille to Italy. However, she died in their home on the 1st of August, 1996. In her career at laycor Hospital, she performed more than 13,000 operations, which even today is an astonishing feat. It's crazy. The hospital's 1996 annual report registered 446 beds, 13,437 admitted, and 116,953 outpatients treated at the main hospital.
1: Oh, that's amazing. That's so many people. That's so many people. Um,
0: While the two functioning peripheral health centers uh, registered 48 beds, 400 admitted, uh, 1,100,500 outpatients. Other activities included about 1,100 deliveries, 1,200 major surgeries. And 33,000 doses of vaccines administered, despite the conflict. Mm -hmm. And that's just a year. Yeah, that's just a year. (sighs) Lucille Teasdale's body was returned to Uganda at a time when the insurgency surrounding the hospital was one of the worst. The military had to airlift her and Piero with a helicopter when they had left Lake Corps because the roads were too dangerous. Thousands of night commuters, mostly children and women, sought shelter within the hospital each night from rebels who raided the villages at night to loot, kill, and abduct children between the ages of 6 and 14. The hospital service for Lucille was held in the nearby cathedral and was attended by hundreds. Some staff traveled up to 40 kilometers on foot from the health centers despite the risk of ambushes and landmines on the road. The military even positioned an armed tank outside the cathedral for the mourners' protection, and then she was interred in one of the hospital's courtyards.
1: Aww.
0: So, back in 1995, Lucille and her husband established the Lucille Teasdale and Piero Cordi Foundation in Milan and Montreal to ensure the continued existence of the hospital. And their daughter, Dominique, who followed in her mother's footsteps, also became a doctor and oh. now runs the foundation in Milan. Oh. Today, St. Mary's Lacor Hospital is considered to be a medical showpiece in Africa that is bringing first-class medical care to thousands. Now home to more than 500 Ugandan employees, 482 beds, and three peripheral health centers, the hospital treats over 300,000 patients a year, half of whom are children under six.
1: Oh, that's amazing. So it's still it's still running. With By her daughter.
0: And by her daughter. Ugh. I know. And one of the things I like, I found like uh, a news article she did. So she, her daughter had a visit to Canada to try and raise funds on the Montreal end of the foundation. And she's just like, nobody knows about her. like Nobody knows about this woman who's such an incredible Canadian figure. She has the order of Canada, but like still nobody really knows who she is. And so I feel like that heritage, but it was probably made in response To to that But still, yeah. I think it's kind of an obscure Heritage Minute. I don't oh. know exactly what year that Heritage Minute came out. Yeah, so this Heritage Minute came out in 2000. So I feel like that's probably in response to kind of that tour her daughter did. Um, and also the Heritage Minute is like one of the first female surgeons in Canada. Yeah. So that's also another piece that <laughs> that we should mention. She was one of Canada's first surgeon, female so cool. surgeons, even though she didn't really work here.
1: Yeah. No, because she like worked where she was needed. Yeah, oh
0: yeah. She's just like she's she's just a cool person. I couldn't find anything that was bad, and so <laughs> she's she's up there. She's up there with Mona Parsons for me. She's just like Aww. cool and nice. Married and a a major workaholic,
1: but made it work. Amazing, helpful, probably super attractive Italian man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and her husband also seems very and very supported nice her, and supportive. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and he was mm-hmm. just like, I need you. I'll buy your cigarettes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> At least the lung cancer didn't kill her. <laughs> yeah, I know.
0: No, 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 the cigarettes don't come up again. I don't know. Mm. Maybe she quit. Maybe. It must be hard to get cigarettes in Uganda. I feel like it's probably just by a matter of like I couldn't get my hands on any, so yeah. I quit.
1: <laughs> so I quit. I loved that one. Good. I wanna watch. I'm gonna watch the Heritage Minute later. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's yeah. it's her working in the hospital in Uganda. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good story. That was such a good one. Yeah, a little uplifting. Mm -hmm. I love that one. We can all use a little uplifting these days, so it's good. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Minute Women podcast. As always, we love having you here as our audience and joining the ride.
0: And if you haven't gotten enough of us, you should head over to our website, menandwomenpodcast.ca. You can find our full catalog of episodes there, links to all of our social media, links to our merch store. Uh, And if you head over to Apple Podcast, you can rate and review the show, which is the best way for this show to get noticed. Yeah. We want people to know about people like (laughs) Lucille Teasdale. Okay, Like (laughs) if not for us, do it for Lucille. Do it for Lucille. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. You can expect another episode next Wednesday. But until then, have a great week. Thanks so much.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: so the following year their daughter dominique was born um who the locals called Atim, which in their language means bar uh, burn such a fucking maritimer
1: <laughs> <Bar>. <laughs> and
0: if you haven't gotten enough of us you should go over to minute women podcast or is that did you pause for me to bust in yeah oh okay good <laughs> I was a sure if you were pausing the thing <laughs> i was like oh i'm gonna ask that's gonna be the outtake for sure sure. (laughs) (laughs) me being an ass (laughs) um